Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, and Hats on Lambs. It's episode 47. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to talk about how our draft week went, thank our patrons, we're going to do a what's the play in lieu of card of the week, because the rest of the episode is going to be like an extended card of the week. And then for our main topic, we're going to review the new draft changes, because they just added a few set eight cards into the draft packs and are changing it up for a week. So we're going to try to get this episode out early to get people some information and our thoughts on these new changes before the full set releases next week. And then if we have time, we're going to do a short draft. So to begin with, Hats, how was your draft week? It was pretty good. I I think I ended up in the top 20. Yeah, in fact, I'm sure I ended up in the top 20. I don't know exactly where I ended, but it's nice because uh, like I keep, I, I've been saying every episode since the beginning of the new year i'm trying to play when i want to and not get into those uh sort of losing spirals where i lose a couple of draft drafts and immediately get back in there all tilted and and try to win it back because uh, that, that that happens to me and i i refuse to let it happen this last month and as a result i think i played better on average so i uh, I, I feel good about how draft has been going for me also i uh, i tried drafting the spell damage deck finally. And uh, I didn't do that great with that draft. I think I went 4-3, but it was everything that you might want from a spell damage deck. I had six Wizened Crones. <laughs> I had had a Prodigious Sorcery, which was the card that made me think, maybe I'm going to do that. Because I took the Prodigious Sorcery when I didn't have any spells that worked with it yet. But I ended up with two Greed's Rewards and a Reverberating Strike and a bunch of other spells that worked well with it. So it was uh, I had a Bolt Crafter Shaman Everything that you might want from a spell damage deck. Very difficult to play for some reason. I had a hard time because you have to play in a very different style than with any other uh, kind of draft deck. Uh, uh, Greed's Reward and Reverberating Strike are fast spells. And for some reason, I had a lot of trouble wrapping my mind around that and using them to their full potential. Um, but also it's a very slow deck. And so anyone that had any kind of aggressive start had me on the back foot for the whole game. So I got to do that, and I couldn't be more satisfied with it unless I had actually, you know, won seven games. But it was fun to experiment with it at its sort of highest capacity. So got to do that. And so no complaints. Went pretty well. How was your draft week? Mine was good. I, I finally started drafting again sort of right before this format switch. I I did three drafts the last few days and went 6-3, 6-3, So I felt yeah. like that was... That was a good way to close this format, really feel like I was ending on a high note and like I kind of got the format. I did go back for a revenge draft after the after the spell damage uh, draft. Uh, I did the spell damage draft on stream and, and kept saying that it would probably be my final draft. But then after only going four wins, I was like, no, I'm going to do another one. And it <laughs> ended up being it ended up being an Argent deck with three Elas's elite. And a bunch of draw strengths and immortalizes, and that went seven wins. So, <laughs> so I got to do one of the least supported draft archetypes and win with it. So that's another fun thing that I got to do right at the end there. Yeah, I I went with like a, an aggressive Combray deck with three draw strengths, no uh, no Gurdav's favored to like really seal the format for me, but 
<laughs> the last card I play should be Grodon's favor. Yeah, exactly. Well, so on to announcements. As we mentioned last week, we are running our Discord tournament. So if you would like that, we're doing a draft of Jedi EJ's uh, Peasant Cube. It's we're, The tournament's probably started, so you might not be able to get in. But if you are interested, I would message uh, Jed the Hummer on the Discord server, and maybe he can do something for you. And then we have our patrons to thank. We do have a Patreon at farming or patreon.com slash farmingeternal where you can donate to the show and help us continue to produce this kind of content. And we do have a few stretch goals, one of which we met last week. So I think next week, I haven't actually talked to Hats once again about this, but uh, we, we have promised a live show. So I'm hoping next week we can do that if he's available. We'll find out. <laughs> we'll find it. We'll find out. We'll discover um, together. So for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to our show notes, our recording bloopers, and nudge us towards all our Patreon goals. So I'd like to thank all our patrons. Abednego, Clinical Cynic, Meagles, Madness, Big Salty, Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Cassandrith, Jed the Hummer, Raven Dragon, Estrich0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yistow. So like I said, uh, instead of doing card of the week this week, we're going to discuss a what's the play. We haven't done one of these in a while. Um, you can find a link to the image of this what's the play. There should be a link to the image in the podcast description, or you can find it on the Discord, or you can become a patron and see it in the show notes. Really a lot of options. But we will also try to describe the situation. So this was actually one of my league games. We're getting near the end of the game, and it's not looking great for me. So my opponent is at 15 life. They have a 6-5 a on the ground, as well as two 2-2 two, two flyers and a 1-4 wretched raven. And the 6-5 and the 2-2 two, two are exhausted. And so the other 2-2 flyer and their 1-4 flyer are ready to block. It's my turn. I have a Rebel Sharpshooter, which is a 3-3, and two Gaudy Showmen on the board. All of them are able to attack, and I have four power. And only fire influence. And only fire influence, and I'm at five life. They have lethal in the air next turn, okay? And so I have 11 attack, attack on the ground, and... They have two blockers. In my hand, the relevant cards, I have a Desperate Gambit, a Teething Whelp, and a Conflagrate. It's not looking great for me, Hats. But... <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's not. But this uh, situation actually elicited a fair bit of dis discussion on the sure. Discord. So what, what do you think the play here is? Well, I, I contributed to the Discord, and my play is the same as uh, as it was then, which is to A-space, attack with everything. If they don't block, then you have exact lethal damage, because you can Desperate Gambit and Decimate to give yourself four additional power, which brings you to exactly 15. Uh, and then, uh, if, they, if they do block, there's a lot of different things that can happen. But you do have a Teething Whelp in your hand that you can play, and you can play any two of the cards in your hand. So you can uh, you can play the Teething Whelp and block the 6-5 on the ground next turn. And the Conflagrate kills one of the 2-2s two in the air. And so they wouldn't be able to uh, hit you for lethal on the next turn uh, unless they also had something in hand. And it looks like they have two cards in hand. So 
Uh, you can't do anything about those cards, particularly. You're not in a position to play around anything. But that's what I would do. Um, I think that's what a lot of people said on the Discord, is just a space and then pray that they don't block. And if they do block, there's a few different things that can still happen. If they block a 4-1 with a 1-4, then your Desperate Gambit can actually uh, can actually save that unit um, and kill their 1-4. And then you have more attack power the next turn. And if they if they block with more than one thing, you can trade a couple of units. You can block. You can still play the teething whelp to block on the ground. Uh, you still have the conflagrate for that can can do a variety of different things. You have a few options, but I'd say the first step is to just a space and see how they block, and then you have to think about it from there. Yeah, the tricky part for me was, I if they. If they block with both their units, I can't save both of them because I can't play the Cun Flag and the Desperate Gambit because I need the, I need to play the Teething Whelp to survive if they do block. Sure. Yeah, I might just let that fly. So if let's say they block a two two four one with it with the two two, and the three three with the one four. Probably just let that trade happen. The Wretched Raven survives. The Rebel Sharpshooter survives. You do four damage. They're at eleven, and you trade, uh, and you trade a four-one for a two-two. Then you could play Teething Whelp, and then when they attack with a six-five, you can actually kill the six-five by blocking with the Teething Whelp and conflagrating it. Mm-hmm. And then you're not in a bad position. You're you're not. You're, it's not great. <laughs> but you yeah. still have the desperate gambit in hand and you have two and you have two units alive so you can still ram through a huge amount of damage unexpectedly yes on and it turn. still would theoretically be lethal because i'd have seven on the attack plus a desperate gambit and they'd be at 11 exactly yeah yes so that's one situation that could happen uh, and it's pretty likely because that's a those are smart those are overall smart blocks for them to 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 block a four one with a two two and a and the three three with a one four so that's a possibility. Um, I think if they blocked a a four one with the one four, then you probably do use a desperate gambit. I don't know. It's a little harder than it's unlikely that they would do that though because yeah. there's so many things that could go wrong for them there. Yeah, my other my two other questions are. Say we use the Desperate Gambit there, mm-hmm. do you ever decimate it just to get in the extra damage? Probably not. You are holding a 5-drop in your hand, and yes. uh, there's a, what is it, Living Mountain or something? Yes. And just to get the extra damage in, I think it's, be- it's better to, to hold out the possibility that you can actually play that 5-drop. Because mm-hmm. that also do that also does extra damage, you know, and makes the rebel sharpshooter um, have uh, have quick shot if you want. So right. I think it's I think it's better to not decimate if you're planning to to try to live for another turn. Because the living mountain might have to chump block, um, but it but it's better to be able to play it than not to be able to play it. I think. Mm-hmm. And then the final point was this is something Ben uh, brought up is he thought that you should conflagrate first, so take out the two two. Mm-hmm. So that they're only have the one four to block, and so then you're probably most likely getting in eight damage this turn. They probably block the three three with the wretched raven, probably. Yes. So let's take a look at that because I'm not totally sure whether that's better or not. So that that two two is going to be dead. You get through for eight. eight. If they don't block at all, then you still have the kill with your desperate gambit. And if they do block, 
you still have to play the teething well and let's see yeah it's complicated there's a lot going on i i think overall it doesn't make them like it doesn't make it less likely i don't like i don't think it changes whether or not they they block they like the there's a possibility that they don't block at all in which case you have lethal and i don't think conflagrating the two two changes whether or not they're going to do that mm-hmm. um I think they're still going to be able to block you from getting the kill that turn. Um, and I think because of the scenario that we talked about just a moment ago where maybe they trade and then you've got then you've got teething whelp and a conflagrate to maybe kill the six five, you you definitely can't do that if you cast the conflagrate first. Yeah. So you, do, you can't do that if you cast the conflagrate first. The difference would be if you cast the conflagrate first, you most likely have both your gaudy showmen still alive. So but then again, that just might mean that they hold back more units next turn. So yeah, might... that gives it does it gives them more uh, more information. You know, if you have a conflagrate up on their turn, you have more options. There, there's no situation where you have an advantage here. You've got a couple of hail mary strategies, right? Um, and I, I, I don't think conflagrating the two two beforehand is better. But it's not significantly worse either, because there is the possibility uh, that I mean, you do get eight damage through that turn, and that's more than if you if they block a if they block a four one with a two two. Yeah, um, I like just a spacing better, but uh, that's a, it's reason it would be reasonable to conflagrate first too. At least I'm not yet convinced it's like that appreciably worse or better so it's really hard in these kind of situations to really know what's the best to do because also it it probably isn't relevant but if you a space here without conflagrating first and then you they block somehow and then you play the teething well you now have two different fast spells in your hand that you can apply to whatever situation comes up you're probably not casting a desperate gambit defensively but you have that option. All right. Well, that was kind of interesting. Like we said, it's it's a fairly complicated situation, even though it might just look like I'm dead. But I think there's was a lot of subtlety there. So I think if you check out the screenshot and, be, and have any different thoughts or think one way is better than the other, please let us know in the Discord and discuss this further. So then our seven win run breakdown, we're not really going to talk about that except to say that we do collect seven win deck lists from listeners at farmingeternal at gmail.com. So if you do get a seven win in this new format, we're probably not going to do a spreadsheet for this one week. I think it's still fun to post the list to the Discord and have people comment on them. So please get in the habit of doing that. And then uh, once set eight comes out, we'll be collecting them in earnest again. Yeah, even though we don't, uh, even though we're not going to be collecting data for the long term on this little hybrid format over the next week, there will still be a lot of discussion about the new cards and like, hey, how did that new card work out for you? And it's like, hey, great, I found this interesting synergy. There will be a lot of that kind of conversation, so it's really worth joining in on that. And uh, because we're recording this early, in order to get this out as early as possible. Um, John hasn't entered the new deck list, so we'll just have a mega list next week. But for those of you who did submit one this past week, we definitely got it. All right, so now on to on to the the big main topic, hats. So the the first thing to note is um, so the format's changed, and what that involves is it's still like set seven point five, where it's draft pack, fox, fox, draft pack. 
are is the pack order. So you start with the draft packs. The draft packs though have completely changed. It's mostly old cards, and they add they've added about fifty or sixty new cards from Echoes of Eternity into the draft packs, and those Echo of Eternity cards are at a boosted rate of double. So not nearly as extreme as 7.5, where the boosted rate was 5x. You will be seeing the Echo of Eternity cards more than the other cards, but not that much more. And there are more draft pack cards, so the Echo of Eternities should be about half the packs on average. Half the cards in a pack. Yeah, yeah, that's what it, that's what it seems like so far, too. We really haven't had time to do a deep dive, and since this this format will only be around for a week, because they also announced that the draft packs will also completely change in, uh, next week when we move to set eight. So we just we just kind of scan the lists and have a few points we want to make about the, the the old cards in the draft packs. First, uh, uh, looking at fire, torch is back, so that's one of the most powerful spells. In Eternal, um, it's now no longer fast, but I still think it's going to be pretty good in draft. One one power for three damage. Yeah, I think you pick. I think you pick this up pretty high. Um, yeah. Also, Char seems to be out for now, so it is uh, torches the premium uh, removal spell in fire right now. As for time, the card that really jumped out to me is Wormstone. Wormstone's back. And there's also, in the draft packs and in Fox, there are a lot of spells that create units. Those really synergize well with Wormstone. Um, there's a lot of really powerful spells in these new Echo of Eternity cards. So I think not only is Wormstone back, but it is powerfully supported in this new format. As for Justice, the most powerful unit in set 7.5 in the draft packs toward test pilot that's sort of gone there is a new flyer the six justice three four that tributes for lifesteal is the flyer it sort of was replaced with um this is kind of interesting to me because it does seem like there are a lot of flyers especially in time and primal and there's a bunch of um i mean there's just a lot of flyers in this format and justice has a lot of anti-flying cards but not it doesn't have sort of the premier flyer that it usually has not that the six justice three four is bad per se but it is a little expensive yeah it's a little expensive it also has tribute which is sort of interesting because uh, they brought back a few tribute cards and i think that's something that is going to be kind of a minor theme it's just sort of something worth noticing why don't I just mention this card now because okay. it's relevant to tribute coming back? Uh, it's uh, let's see, uh, it's nesting raven. Nesting raven is one of the new cards in set eight, which is it's a zero four for one primal, very cheap, uh, and it has the ability for no power cost to sacrifice itself and uh, return as a one one uh, flyer. That means that it can activate tribute whenever you want for no cost. And that's uh, that can be a very effective thing. It's a very good blocker for one power. A zero four is pretty strong as a blocker, and then it can be a flyer when you need to. Uh, and one of the cards that they brought back in the draft packs is Grave Tender, which is the three time unit in uh, the three time unit that is a one one flyer without tribute, but a three three flyer with tribute. 
So you can play your nesting raven on one, and then when you get to three, sacrifice it, make a one-one flyer, make your grave tender as a three-three flyer, and you don't have to do any crazy like you know attacking and trading shenanigans to make any of that happen. It's just a just a just a single very powerful combo. Yeah. So Nesting Raven works with anything with Tribute. So if they end up bringing back more stuff with Tribute uh, in the in the final format that we that we get when we're playing set eight, something to notice about Nesting Raven is it's the first time I think we've been able that we've had a unit that could just sacrifice itself without any additional cost. Yes. Yeah, and um, yeah, that seems like an incredible synergy. And all the shades, while they do all the corrupted units. While they do have a cost to sacrifice themselves, they all can sacrifice themselves. Yeah. So they also um, synergize really well with all of these tribute cards. Yeah, exactly. That's something to really keep an eye on because it's potentially very powerful, especially with the, uh, especially with the units that have a very low corrupted cost. Because mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of units have a lower corrupted cost than the original cost of the unit, so sacrificing them is is very efficient. Plus, you get the effect of sacrificing them them on that turn, and then you get to play your tribute unit. That's all. That all has the potential to be very strong. Yes. Um, then uh, the other thing that I noticed is the only removal injustice is downfall and fall short, and um, a little skeptical of fall short. Uh, in this format, you know, Fall Short has risen and lowered depending on the format that it's been in. But this format has, it feels like a lot of keywords, but also a lot of ways to give units keywords. And that yeah. seems like it could potentially make Fall Short a lot, a much a much more of a liability. It could very well, yeah. Uh, you can all, I mean, the, it, it works in conjunction with Silence. Uh, so if you have a really uh, if you have a real problem to deal with, sometimes you can silence it and then fall short. It that's not the most efficient thing, but it is something that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Also, justice does have sort of indirect removal, uh, other than those those spells. Uh, for it has timidity for one thing, which is uh, the curse that uh, that says the cursed unit can't attack. That's right. an uncommon. That's, in fact, a boosted uncommon. I'm not sure if they ever printed Timidity by itself or if it was just a card that other cards created. I assume if it's boosted, then it must be never have... This must be the first time it's uh, its own card. So that's worth noticing, especially in a, in a, um, in a format that's going to have a lot of evasion like this one. Uh, is Timidity is, is, it does keep something from attacking you. And it's a curse, so... Uh, curse synergy is still going to be around, and also uh, there's a card. Uh, let's see, ensnare that just kills an attacking enemy unit with flying straight up for one justice. And that's a new card, also, right? That is also a new card. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one would be dive bomb, which is uh, which is uh, we. I'm gonna, I want to talk about dive bomb several times because <laughs> I'm I am hoping it's not as powerful as it seems to be, but uh, that's a it's a fast spell. It's one of the new cards in set eight. Uh, it give, It's a fast spell for four justice. Uh, give two of your units plus one, plus four, and flying this turn. This is a great card to ambush flying units. Mm-hmm. It's a fine card to just get, boost your car, any units in the middle of combat. And then also it just ends the game if you can send two large units into the air uh, and have them be unblocked for a turn. So it seems absurd. <laughs> and it's common. 
Yeah. Uh, but also you can treat it as 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 pseudo removal because it is a pretty effective way of uh, of of staving off dangerous things in justice. So it's like it's like other justice cards like that. Um, you know what? Uh, fast reflexes, whatever that card was that gave gave something endurance and plus three plus three. High alert. High alert. Yeah, it's not fast reflexes at all, <laughs> but high alert. So so justice has all those things. But you're right. There's there's not a lot of uh, maybe maybe less than usual of cards that directly kill something. There's always some weird conditional removal in justice. And then in primal. Primal, I think, in the Echo of Eternity cards got some really good cards, but the draft pack theme seems, once again, a little bit all over the place. For example, the Bolt Crafter Shaman is still in, but they took away Static Bolt, and so the only damage spell is Shiver, which mm-hmm. is a one Primal deal two damage to an exhausted unit, Nightfall. Which kind of goes into my next point is in Primal and Shadow, they seem to add have added a lot of Nightfall Synergy cards into the draft packs. Even though the Echo of Eternity cards don't really seem to have any Nightfall Synergy in themselves, nor, as we know, do the Fox cards have any Nightfall Synergies. And to go along with that... Um, for primal removal like permafrost is gone and they put in winter's grasp which is the two primal stun an enemy unit while nightfall is happening yeah. uh, it's like which, perm- it's like permafrost but it's much worse yes and even though they added a lot of nightfall you are really only getting that from the draft packs and of the draft packs only half the cards you know what I mean? Since yeah. the Echo of Eternity cards don't have Nightfall, so themselves. that's and that's definitely going to be true for the next week. But the fact that they brought back a bunch of Nightfall cards for no apparent reason suggests that maybe they're bringing back Nightfall in Echoes of Eternity, yeah. and we just haven't seen that yet because they've chosen carefully which cards to spoil. We haven't seen any of the new mechanics other than Corrupted so far, and doubtless there are some. So that's a possibility, or else the, what they have a new mechanic that interacts with Nightfall in some interesting way, uh, and that's another possibility. But for the next week, for sure, we've got a bunch of Nightfall cards that uh, somewhat synergize with each other, but then half of the cards you see uh, won't interact with that at all. So yes. that's, it's an unsupported mechanic at this point. And like I, I mentioned, it does seem like the uh, poor Skycrag the Fox Skycrag spell damage deck got a little bit harder. Yeah, probably. I mean, there is a spell damage common now in the new, the new, uh, the new dragon, and that helps a little bit. Um, but it is a pretty expensive card. I mean, it costs five to bring out. So, um, and it's a little yeah. bit more. It's more resilient than a Wizard Crone because it's a one-four flyer for five. And then if it, it has a mastery of three where it gets an additional plus one spell damage. So there is a possibility that it turns into a really good, good card for a spell damage deck. But it's definitely an inefficient card. It's small yes. for its cost. It doesn't give you that much benefit without jumping through a lot of hoops. So I'm not inclined to pick it up that high. So I, I, I agree with you. I don't think the spell damage deck is going to be in good shape for the next week. But yes. it might very well be later once we see all the cards. Yes. But you do need spells that damage. Mm-hmm. Um, also, 
Yeah. So, yeah, and there's one really good new one in Fire, um, but other than that, nothing. All right, and then on to Shadow. Again, I, I checked out the removal in Shadow. One of the things that really boosted Shadow in 7.5 is there was a bunch of good removal in the draft packs, and most of that seems to be gone. There's Execute, which kills an exhausted unit and deals two damage to its controller. So that's uh, a, not super conditional, but conditional removal. It's really hard to kill an endurance unit, for example, or you have to hope the unit attacks or blocks in order to kill it. Uh, there's Vara's Intervention, which is a sort of a choice spell, but one of the modes is minus two health, so that can kill a unit. Um, and then there's the new card, Defile, which kills a three cost or less unit. Yeah, and Defile's terrific, but it is it's it's limited. You don't have a we don't have very many options for outright killing a large unit now. But there are a couple other interesting things. They're bringing back Madness, which seems super relevant in this format because there are so many sacrifices ways to sacrifice there's at least one really good new way in the new cards and there's all of the old good ways in uh in the fox packs and devour is still in and then another interesting thing to me was they brought back dark return void recursion seems to be very strong in this as uh, uh because the that removal spell what is that we were just talking about Varus intervention also brings back an unseen from the void that's another okay. one of its modes uh so that's just another raised dead effect, which is, it's a lot. It's a lot of raised deads. Yeah, and that's what I kind of wanted to ask you about is, do you think, just based on your initial impressions, is will this be a format where you can play decks with more than two of these effects? Because that's usually our sort of rule of thumb, is you don't, like even Immortalize, which is like a great card, you don't really often want more than two copies of that in a deck. I think it depends on how many cards uh, actively benefit from being brought back multiple times. Uh, And one of the standard, uh, what I'm assuming is going to be one of the staple commons for Shadow. Uh, I don't know if it's powerful now, but I I assume it will be a staple common in the future once the format has settled, is Skeletal Dragon. And Skeletal Dragon is a three-shadow nightmare dragon it has flying it's a zero one but when you summon it it gets attack it adds attack equal to the highest attack unit in your void so if you raise the skeletal dragon um with dark return or immortalize it will get that bonus again when you summon it Mm -hmm. so it goes from like a two one or whatever you initially summoned it as to being even bigger than that and if you dark returned it now it has two toughness so it can't be picked off by quite as many things so Skeletal Dragon benefits from being raised multiple times, which I think is part of why they designed it that way. Um, and I think it's the only one of the new cards that is like that, where it keeps getting a benefit every time you summon it. But, well, it's not the only one, because there's that time common with a, with an ultimate where it gains power and toughness equal, or attack and toughness, or whatever you call it. Attack and health? What is it? Yeah. Health. Uh, health. It gains attack and health equal to the highest health in your void. Uh, it's a 2-3 three for 3 in time. Um, so that can repeatedly get that ultimate. So there's a 
there's a fair amount of reward for repeatedly recurring things uh, as long as they don't get silenced. So I think that might be what they're kind of going for is serious void recursion and rewarding you for playing a lot of uh, effects that get cards back from the void. I don't know how effective that will be, but it seems like, you know, you can only kill Skeletal Dragon so many times and it keeps getting <laughs> dangerous every time. Uh, it keeps getting more dangerous every time, then it's, uh, you know, that might be worth doing. We'll have to see. Like Ravenous Thorn Beast does the same thing, you know, it keeps growing. I don't know. I think that's good. I mean, it's still always, you know, because Void Recursion is a bit of an A-B mechanic where units die in order to be able to recur them from the Void. So I think it is sort of a dangerous game to play. But sure. they rather pointedly have piercing grief in this uh, in this set now, too. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of it's kind of interesting, you know, because when you uh, when you when you bring that back, you get to draw a card if it died from after its revenge has gone off. So I don't know. There's there's some interesting things happening there. It doesn't stick around, but it hits them again. And either they trade something for it or they let it hit them and you you gain some life each time and it might it might work. Plus with madness plus with the madness sacrifice stuff, maybe bringing stuff back is going to be more valuable. I I, I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> I just would like to it would be really interesting if having a bunch of void recursion spells in your deck was actually good. So yeah. I'm hoping that that works out. But of course, being a responsible drafter, uh, if you pack your deck full of those effects, sometimes you won't have anything in your void worth bringing back uh, or nothing at all. Yeah. And, and and you want to avoid that. But if they if they put enough support for it in here, then that's a, an archetype that we'll have to look at as, yeah. a, as a real thing. Because that's clearly what they're going for. And that exactly. sometimes they don't get there when they do the, these kind of things, but sometimes they do. Yeah, and I it, I think it'll also be interesting, you know, because another sort of void recursion, and this kind of is interesting in that it goes both ways. This is in the Fox packs, but we do have uh, Voprex's Choice, which mm -hmm. draws a dragon or a weapon from your void. Yeah. And, you know, there are a couple, you mentioned the Skeletal Dragon, but there's yep. also a bunch of other new dragons in Echoes of Eternity. So you have a bunch more dragons to be able to hit with Voprex's choice. Yep. And um, kind of interesting because it does seem like at least Fire Justice and maybe Fire Time Justice is kind of armory themed. Yeah, and, it is. Um, but Fire Justice definitely has a couple good relic weapons. And maybe if you pair that with Voprex's choice, you can get this weapon recursion going because there does seem to be weapons that want to be recurred, and I think Voprex's choice is currently the only way to do that. I mean, it's not the only way, because Time has a new card that can get anything back from the Void. That's true. But I, in the final set, I would be very surprised if there weren't more ways to get Relics back from the Void, because it seems to be a theme that they are really going to want to support. There's a lot of cards that don't make sense unless you can bring back relic Relics from the Void. Among them, Worm, uh, Wormstone. Wormstone is a card that wants to be brought back from the void because that's where it lives. It would be it would be real weird if they didn't if they brought back Wormstone and then and then didn't bring back any way of, of getting getting back relics. Well, we don't know if they're going to bring back Wormstone in set eight draft. That's true. We don't. Uh, I think that they will though. I, all all signs at this point 
point to yes because it goes with two different themes that I I'm guessing right now will probably be supported in its set eight. Yeah, I was just mentioning Voprex's choice because it does, as far as current cards, there aren't wa- very many ways to bring back weapons, but there seem to be a lot of weapons that want to be brought back. Yeah. So I think it's yeah. it's something to look out for. I think um, one of the new cards that isn't in this set, well, I can't say this for sure, but I'm pretty sure there's a there's one of the new cards that, that we don't actually have access to now, but will be out in, in set eight brings weapons back from the void it's one of the things that it does it's something Uh in fire so now we wanted to sort of discuss what these three faction themes are and we sort of Uh hinted at these a little bit in our sort of breakdown of the the draft packs and the old cards in them but so yeah so there's five three faction identities and there's two cycles of uncommons uh in this new set that uh seem to be trying to define what the themes of those three faction uh, alliances are going to be. So let's just talk about them one by one. Fire, Primal, and Shadow. Uh, and then Marquee Uncommon for that set is Razor Pain Hellkite. And uh, Razor Pain Hellkite costs six Fire, Primal, Shadow. It's a four five flying nightmare dragon. The text on Razor Pain Hellkite is flying. It gets plus two attack for each treasure trove in your void. And you can pay eight to deal one damage for each different name among your dragons. And so it does seem as though the Fire Primal Shadow theme is going to be dragons, with some sub-themes below that. Uh, There's a few different ways to create treasure troves. One of the new commons uh, for Fire is a 3-1 dragon with Reckless and a mastery of nine uh and when you achieve its mastery it draws three treasure troves so that's a thing that it does uh that's a very dragony thing it it steals treasure and it's a dragon and it flies uh so that's the kind of card that's the that's that, that you're going to be able to work with and there's a common dragon in each of these three colors, there's that three one we were just talking about. There's the the spell damage one in primal that we were talking about before, and there's the skeletal dragon with the void recursion. Um, yeah, and there's also the the new primal one, the four primal primal three three. There is indeed. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very good, just sort of standard meat and potatoes flyer. Four power for a three three flyer is very good on all by itself. And then there's also a dual faction relic that is uh, this fire primal, and it costs two. It reduces the cost of all of your dragons by one, and if you have a dragon in play, you have plus one spell damage. Yeah, so, and that is spellbound vestige. Yes, spellbound vestige. So that is a pretty good card, it seems like, if you have any dragons in your deck. Uh, you have to have both dragons and some spells that do damage. So that's a little tricky in this format because, as you said, they did reduce the number of spells you have access to that do any damage. But that is probably temporary. So in the long run, um, you're going to be looking at some combination of dragons and spell damage and void recursion with dragons mm-hmm. uh, if you're in these if you're in these colors. The other fire primal shadow card is the display of menace. Yeah, and that's kind of interesting. It's like all the displays. Three fire primal shadow, and its three modes are deal one damage to each enemy, kill an enemy relic, and give relics in the enemy void void bound, 
or sacrifice a unit to draw two of the top four cards of your deck, bottom the rest. So we talked about this in an earlier episode, but it's kind of interesting because it does seem like they're still supporting spell damage. Yes. Which this improves with because it does deal one damage to each enemy. That gets a lot better when you're doing two or three damage. Um, It is a little interesting that there's no mention of dragons on this card. It is. But in the the displays historically have not adhered uh, strictly to the themes of the set. Uh, it's actually rare for them to. <laughs> Usually one of the modes will be like, hey, this is pretty much what you want to be doing with these three colors. And then the other two will just sort of match the, uh, the like, I don't know. There will be a, a, there'll be an ability that's attached mostly to the each one of the abilities will be attached to one of the three factions, yes. uh, but they're not all they they don't always go with uh, the overall draft strategy at all. Displays tend to feel like constructed cards more than draft cards to me, and that hasn't changed with these new displays. Yes, I agree. Yeah, so I just wanted to point that out. But there is yep. the spell damage synergy at least there, and uh, this is one of those sack outlets that we've been talking about talking about too with the sacrifice a unit to draw two of your top four cards of your deck that sounds pretty good especially if you've played a madness and it's one of their units that you're sacrificing yeah yeah that's uh that's a six power combo but it's six power well spent um all right so the oh and also probably worth noticing that display of menace does kill an enemy relic uh and gives relics in the enemy void void bound and we were just talking about how void relic recursion might be a theme uh once the full set eight is released so does that mode might be more powerful than it looks right now next i guess would be justice primal shadow let's go with that so the so the marquee uncommon is agent of purpose it is uh it costs six justice primal shadow it's an unseen elf its stats are six four uh, and its ability is pay to and exhaust Agent of Purpose to kill a cursed enemy unit and give Agent of Purpose its battle skills. So I'm, I think it's pretty clear that this three-faction uh, combination is going to be about Unseen. Um, and Unseen are about battle skills and they're about curses. And this is just the most Unseen Unseen that ever Unseen because... <laughs> <laughs> it works with curses and it steals battle skills. Yeah. It does everything that you want an unseen elf to do. It's a very powerful card. Uh outright killing a cursed enemy unit is is not bad. It's a no, little No, I mean that's like I mean obviously with Felrock's choice you got it back. You but know. You also it didn't put a giant unit on the board. Uh this is this is not a huge unit uh for its cost. Like 6 power uh six a six four for six is a little bit small but all it has to do is kill one thing with evasion and suddenly it's terrifying and then you get to choose that because there's enough curses here to uh you know you 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 curse you curse a flyer with timidity uh and with with agent of purpose in your hand and then you bring out the agent kill it now this thing has flying it's it's not bad yeah no that's really great yeah the the interesting thing to me is obviously unseen or unseen was not really a supported archetype in this previous fox format but curses was so that seems like that's going to continue into set eight but for this next week what that means is 
Um, this is probably one of the most supported archetypes because it, because Justice Primal Shadow was already trying to do this in yeah. the previous format, and we still have all of those cards. Yeah, so there's a lot of overlap there, and there are some pretty good unseen cards in Fox, like the Justice Primal uh, dual, misery dual faction common misery walker is an unseen. I'm pretty sure. I'm really just guessing here, actually, but I think it's got to be right. <laughs> I have no idea. I I didn't even think about that one, but probably uh, absolutely has to be. What else would it be? There, there's a there's a ton of them in Fox, like Ghostblade Outcast, the Exalted Lifesteal guy is unseen. They brought back a bunch of unseen into the curated draft packs as well. There's like mm-hmm. Sparring Partner and Tranquil Scholar. Uh, one of the new cards, Willbreaker, is an unseen, uh, and Spirit Guide is in. That's a rare, but still. Uh, Spirit Blade Stalker, which is the 2-4 that, with an ultimate that gives something plus one, plus one in lifesteal. That's an unseen. They brought back Graceful Calligrapher. They brought back a bunch of unseen. So uh, it looks, I would I would be very surprised if they if they backed off on that when, when set eight is released in full. I think Unseen is going to be the main theme for these colors the, the whole time. And uh, even if you don't get any Unseen Tribal Synergy, uh, you can go with either Curses or Battle Skills, and both of those are probably going to be supported like sub-archetypes. Yes, uh, definitely. And that's, you know, they do have a few of these uh, dual faction cards too. And so the... Argent Port one, the two Justice Shadow is a Reborn Master. It's a two-three endurance. Your units with two or more battle skills have plus one attack, and it's also an unseen. So that sort of fits that two battle skills theme. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing to note, and is that in Fox in Justice Shadow, there are really only three cards that start out with two battle skills. They are the Outcast, the Exalted Lifesteal, One Justice, One One, the Longtail Cavalry, and Dread Hellkite. Mm-hmm. So there are not a ton of cards that start out triggering sort of this double battle skill thing. But in Echoes of Eternity, there are a lot of ways to give extra battle skills. And in Fox with Exalted, there's a lot of ways to sort of transfer battle skills around to yeah. help trigger that. Yeah, and Exalted counts as a battle skill, right? It counts as a battle skill, yes. And then so when you... Immortalize automatically gives like any anything that already has a battle skill, if you immortalize it, then it's got two and it will activate this card. Exactly. And then when it dies, you can transfer its battle skill. Obviously you lose the exalted, but if you transfer it to something with a battle skill, it will then have two battle skills. So yeah. Kind of an so, interesting synergy there. Yeah, time will tell if that's really an effective thing to do in draft, but it's looking good so far. Uh, from what we've seen so far, uh, it looks like it's not going to be hard to activate that that dual faction guy. And um, uh, it's a very good card by itself because two power for a 2-3 with endurance is already fantastic. Yes. Yeah, the one thing that is a little interesting slash weird to me is it does seem like there's a lot going on. And this is a problem I had in Fox with Justice Primal Shadow decks where they felt a little bit all over the place. And it's like, are you building a deck that's unseen battle skill relic tribal? Or Mm -hmm. do you really need to focus on one of those to make a coherent deck? 
yeah, it looks like that problem will continue to exist and be just as exasperating as it was before. Yes. Uh, there will there will come a point when you find yourself in those factions when you need to really focus on one of those strategies over the others because they all kind of overlap a little bit, but then you can end up with a deck that doesn't do any one thing well. Uh, I think that's going to continue to be an issue. Mm-hmm. But you won't be trying to mill anyone this time <laughs> around, so that'll that'll cut down on one of the <laughs> strategies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Should we talk about the display? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the display for them sort of follows that theme of not really having to do with the faction identity. So it's three Justice Primal Shadow. Its three modes are give one of your units plus one plus one and exalted, deal seven damage to an enemy unit played this turn, or steal an enemy relic with cost three or less. Yeah. The first ability does go along with the Unseen because it does grant a permanent battle skill at fast speed. That's true. It's not explicit about it, but it does go with the strategy pretty well, I think. Uh, it's one of the only... I mean, now... It, and it also becomes one of the only ways to reliably give something exalted and also get it killed right away, you know? Like, that's that's a pretty powerful thing <clears throat> to do. And it also enables all kinds of bizarre trickery if you want to transfer your battle skills to some other unit, you know, you can, yes. you can do that. You can do that in some weird ways now. Like you can give something plus one, plus one and exalted and then sacrifice it in the same turn and then turn on your battle skill bonuses. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that might happen because of this card. Of course, it's an uncommon and it's in three colors, so it's not going to happen often, but it's very versatile. And then it's, yeah, it's and also... this, this is the first time we've seen giving exalted at fast speed to a right. unit on the board. That's exactly right, yeah. That opens up a lot of possibilities. It should be a fun card. I don't know about stealing an enemy relic with cost three or less, but there are some powerful relics with uh, with cost three or less in this format. Most of them are uncommons, but taking one of them is pretty devastating. Okay, well, that's good to know that there are a few relics that cost three or less, because this seemed a little weird because high-cost relics is a potential theme of one of these three factions so it seems yeah. weird that you're only hitting low cost ones and at least in the fox pack so this is relevant to the this next week but we were kind of talking about this with the elvis swindler where there was like what relics that cost two or less would you really want and we there were not very many and so no, this is going to be more of a long-term thing. Uh, yeah, there's not much in Fox, but you can take things like Spellbound Vestige, and there's the Keeper's Shield, which is the Rakano uh, mm-hmm. relic relic weapon. It, it's a it's a three one for three uh, with a Spellcraft three play reinforce. You can just gank that with with Display of Progress, and or Purpose rather Display of Purpose, which is the the Justice Primal Shadow card that we're talking about. And then also the one that gives plus one, plus one to flyers. Yes. Yeah, you can't really, you, you might not be able to take advantage of that. Though There are a lot of flyers in these three colors. Yeah, so, there are. So that's kind of an interesting one to steal. You're still in, you still got, you're still in Primal Shadow, which is full of dragons now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so no. It's... So I I like that. That's it. Does seem like there could be some possible things, and it does seem like the these Elysian decks with with majestic skies, which is the two Elysian. Yeah. Give your flying units plus one plus one. Uh, you know, people I think are going to be building decks around that card, yeah. and so 
stealing that could really hinder them. I mean, obviously, they still don't have a board of flyers. Uh, flyers do tend to be small for their for their costs, so at least you have a chance of racing them after you take their their board buff. Yeah. Then the um this second mode, the deal seven damage to an enemy unit played this turn is, I think, a little bit hard to evaluate. For me, the closest analogy is Avalanche. The three primal primal deal four damage to every unit in sight played this turn with yes. warp. And that seemed like it could have been a powerful card, but was just so situational that I think it was sort of agreed upon to be not very good in draft. It I just think was... this is a lot better because it does seven damage and it can kill some really large things. And then when you're at the point in the game when somebody is going to play something really gigantic against you, mm-hmm. then you're more likely to be able to leave up the power to to kill it that same turn. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, it. I I do wish that this had another mode to take advantage. You know, so like if your opponent didn't play something, to be like, oh well, you know, if this had like a I don't know, a draw, draw a card or draw two cards or whatever, you know, so that you like, I'm going to hold up this power. If they don't play anything, I'm going to get like some advantage, some other advantage. And it just, for me, the like plus one, plus one exalted is not that exciting to just like, you know, shoot off at the end of your turn because they didn't play, your enemy didn't play a unit. No, what you're hoping is that they'll attack into you and then you can use the plus one, plus one uh, exalted strategically. But then, of course, it takes away your ability to kill anything big that they play that turn. So, yeah, uh, that's an issue. But I think that's an issue with all of the displays is that Mm -hmm. you tend not to be able to set up a, a turn where you can use more than one of the modes effectively. It's really difficult with all of them to do that. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking specifically of the uh, the old one, the Fire Time Primal, you know, with the negate a spell or deal four damage. So it's like, did they play a spell on their turn? No. Okay, well, I'm just going to deal four damage to something to end it. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, but that was one of the best ones, you know. Yes. Always, you know, hope for more. That's <laughs> yeah. Next, let's talk about uh, Edge of Prophecy. <laughs> let's talk about it. Let's talk about Edge of Prophecy. Let's yeah, try to so figure this, this is out. The uh, Fire Time Justice card, and we're kind of thinking that this is maybe Armory. Uh, one of the things leading us to believe this is that uh, Edge of Prophecy is a seven Fire Time Justice relic weapon. And it's a 3-3 Relic Weapon for 7. Summon Double Edge of Prophecies, Attack, and Defense. Yeah. So it's really a 6-6 the first time you summon it. uh, Unless there's been any other modifiers. Uh, A 6-6 weapon for 7 is not terrible. Like, you would play and draft a 6-6 for 8 occasionally back when that card existed in Shadow. Yes. Uh, but for a three-faction card, you'd think this would be a little more powerful. I agree. And like we were kind of mentioning, the only way to really recur this in the current format, I think reasonably, is turn back time. Uh, because, you know, we mentioned Voprex's choice, but that would add shadow. So now you're in a four-color deck, which seems very unlikely. Yeah, that's not going to happen. So because of the existence of this card, because it gets so much better only if you recur it, 
uh, and it seems like it should be able to get much better. And there's not a lot of war cry that would give it a bonus before you summon it the first time. Uh, that it seems very likely that there will be other uh, weapon recursion spells, yes. or cards uh, in the in the in either the draft packs or the set eight or both. Yeah, though I will say, turn back. You turn back time. This right. So the next time you play it, it's uh, a ten, sort of like a ten cost relic weapon, but it's yeah. now at twelve twelve, which is uh, yeah, pretty that's, impressive. That's a lot of. I mean, that that kills a lot of units. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then once they're done having units, then it's twelve to the face. So it's it's pretty strong. It's a very long term option for a draft deck, uh, but it's it's super powerful. Yes, and there are also note there are a bunch more relic weapons than there were in this previous format. You know, there's another there's a fire justice relic weapon, uh, keeper shield, which is three fire justice three one. Um, with the spellcraft three, play reinforce and reinforce just gains four armor, so it becomes a three five for six. Yeah, uh, when you spellcraft it, and again this would like to be, I think, recurred because you can keep reinforcing it. And the nice thing about relic weapons work a little weirdly with recursion. So if you reinforce this, it becomes a 3-5, and it keeps those 3-5 stats when it goes to the void, even though you like slowly lose armor. How relic weapons work is they sort of remember the max armor they had when they were put on. So if you have four armor and then you play a reinfor or a keeper shield and reinforce, you'd get the four extra armor for reinforce plus the four you had previously. So it'd become like a three nine when it goes to your void for when you recurse it, which again is not super relevant in this current format, but we think will be relevant um, in the future. And then there's also a pretty powerful, I think, um, just straight justice uh, relic weapon. Yeah, I don't know how good it is, but it seems like it has potential. It costs five justice and it's a three three. It has a spellcraft of two that casts Inspire, which is the card that uh, gives plus one, plus one to the top unit or weapon of your deck and draws a card. And that's a very nice bonus, you know, the... It, and also it has Pledge, and Pledge is an underrated mechanic uh, that is a very good thing to have on cards. So that's that's I, I don't know how good that's going to be. Three threes for five are, are not like the best Relic weapons usually, but yeah. I think this one has enough upside that it's probably going to be playable at least. Yeah, exactly. They've had mixed results in previous draft formats, but I think any card that tacks on draw a card has the potential to be playable at least. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing is that there are these three uncommons, the touches, uh, and there may be another two to, to fill out the cycle in set eight that can give your weapons in hand battle skills. Uh, all three touches give a unit on the field and a unit spell or weapon in your hand a battle skill. The uh, the justice one grants lifesteal, the Fire one grants double damage, which seems potentially very powerful. And the time one, insanely, grants deadly. Uh, the, the, it is, it's, the, it's the nuttiest card, I swear, in the whole set. Uh, 
what is it? Uh, it's called Touch of Battle. Touch of Battle costs two and time. It's a fast spell. Give one of your units deadly. Already, pretty good rate for that ability, especially if you have some tokens just kicking around. And yeah, then and just a... for sorry, and yeah, just for reference, this is ability. This first ability what used to cost four. Right. Yeah. There's there's been a common kicking around in draft forever that grants this ability for four because that's how powerful they thought it was. This is an uncommon, but two for this ability, plus the second half of it is is then give a unit, weapon, or spell in your hand deadly. Uh, that's a that's that's power creep, there, buddy. That <laughs> seems very strong. Uh, yes. like it doesn't affect the board directly, but doesn't it though? It does make something deadly in the middle of combat if you want it to. And then you can make all kinds of spells deadly that are should not be deadly, such as Reverberating Strike, which is a four-power spell that does one damage to everything on your opponent's board. And then if it has deadly, kills everything. If you have a relic weapon that's too small to kill an enemy unit, well, give it deadly. And then if there is Void Recursion later, it'll still have deadly, and you yeah. can kill something with it again. It's, uh, it's a bonkers card, and... We'll see if it's if it's as good as it looks at first, but it's so versatile and and uh, the upside is so high on on a lot of the effects that it can have. I would expect it to be a pretty high draft pick forever. Yeah, another interesting uh, two for one, especially because it is in Fire Time Justice, is Funeral Pyre from Fox. You know, so that's uh, the three fire deal two damage to an enemy, decimate deal two damage to an additional enemy. That sounds pretty good if this spell gets deadly. And even better in that respect is the new uh, is the new set 8 card from Echoes of Eternity, Ruinous Burst, which is a one power fire spell that does one damage to two enemies. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, it's more efficient, for one thing. It benefits from spell damage very well because it, uh, it's, it only costs one. Um, so it's bait. It's... Uh, being able to do two damage to two enemies for one cost is 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 real good. I don't know how good it is if you don't have any way of buffing it. A spell like that really depends on how many one toughness things there are in the format to kill with it. Uh, but you can also give that deadly if you have a touch of battle and then it kills two things, and that's that's ridiculous. All right, and then uh, the display for this faction pairing is display of creation. So that's. Three fire time justice, and it draw two random sigils from your deck. Take that display of vision. Um, silence each attacking enemy unit. Then they get minus two attack this turn, and then give one of your units plus two attack, gain two armor. So this is, uh, I think, uh, interesting display. This one has a little bit of synergy with the theme in that it does gain armor. Um, this middle ability seems pretty powerful. You know, we we had Flash Grenade. That's a card we're all used to. That's one Justice. So a lot cheaper than this, but this does silence each attacking enemy unit. And because so many of the cards in this new format seem to be relying on text, uh, I think this could be a very powerful and feel-bad card. Yeah, it seems like a pretty crushing blow every time. Uh, I mean, it it 
it downs flyers, you know, it down it it kills the it kills the little shadow unblockable guy they just printed. There's yeah. That seems like the, the mode that's gonna happen most of the time. The third mode, give one of your units plus two attack and gain two armor, is frankly weird. It doesn't seem very good, no, per se. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a world where you, where you want that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a good, it's an okay ability if you're if you've got something with quick draw attacking. But gaining the armor there, it's just a split ability on a card that is already three different choices. You would think <laughs> that each of the choices would do a very specific thing, but those are disjointed. There's no way to give a unit plus two attack and gain two armor and have those two two things go together. Those are yeah. separate. So what do you think about this first mode, Hats? Uh, I don't think it's all that strong. You don't get to choose the sigils that you draw from your deck, uh, and it doesn't ramp you. Uh, it just uh, It's a draw two, and you only get sigils. So in draft, I don't know how strong that is. Uh, there will certainly be times when you reach three power and you want to get two sigils out of your deck to plan out your next two turns, uh, but then you're sacrificing the ability to wreck your opponent's entire army with the second mode sometime later. So I don't think it's going to happen that often. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that is something to be to take note is that it is it is not a ramp spell. It is a draw spell and the cards you're drawing are not great. I guess we're on Awakened Gorger now. We talked about Awakened Gorger last week, but let's talk about him again. So right. So this is Firetime Shadow which seems like a sacrifice theme. So we have a, a bunch of corrupted cards in fire. So those like to be sacrificed. There's tokens in time. The new card is Humbug Nest, which is a three-time fast spell. Play two 1-1 one, one Humbugs. They also brought back Humbug Swarm, the six-time slow spell play three one one humbugs yeah and then humbug Humbug nest really makes humbug swarm look bad yeah even unnerfed you know because humbug swarm was nerfed it used to be five cost and even five cost is not great when you see humbug nest i think no humbug nest is going to be one of the one of the defining cards of the format i think it's common even if it had synergy with absolutely nothing it would be a good card yeah, because uh, making two one-one flyers at the end of your opponent's turn or uh, before blocks is 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 pretty great, and there's tons of synergy because yeah. there's the sacrifice synergy, and then there's also the flyer synergy. It's going to be a car. It's going to be I don't know if not the best common, it's going to be up there. Yeah, I agree. And then shadow provides tokens and sacrifice outlets, so there's. Quite a lot going on. We talked about also Madness is back. So Awakened Gorger, it seems like it will have a lot of fodder to stay alive. And as a reminder, uh, if you didn't listen to last episode, Awakened Gorger is a six fire time shadow unit. It's a nine nine. At the start of your turn, sacrifice a unit. Then you gain three health and get three power this turn. It's pretty strong if you can keep feeding it extremely strong if you can keep feeding it and with with the corrupted units kicking around as long as there's a few efficient ones uh and and with as many token makers as there seem to be seems like it might be a playable card 
Also, it's a Nightmare Kieran. And there does seem to be in this format a, a few life gain synergies. This is rare, but a fan favorite Katra is in the draft packs. And there are a few, I think, uh, common and uncommon sort of payoffs too. So this synergizes with that along with the sacrifice theme. So that's uh, a thing to take note of. And I think this temporary ramp is really interesting to me because, you know, you are sort of using cards to feed this ramp, but it just seems like this plus three power could get used in some interesting ways. One of the ways that it can be used is to activate the abilities on your shades after you sacrifice the original unit to the gorger. Mm -hmm. Some of those abilities are pretty expensive and you might you would be able to use those and play another card uh, in the same turn. So I feel like that's probably going to happen a lot if you end up with this in your deck. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so then let's talk about this display. This is the display of destruction. This is a three fire time shadow. The first mode is deal three damage to an enemy unit and you gain three life. Sacrifice a unit to get plus six power this turn or play three one one cultists exhausted. Uh, I actually think this goes better with the overall theme than some of the other displays because playing three one one cultists is very good if you're trying to create sacrifice fodder. Um, and then occasionally you want to sacrifice something to get plus six power. I don't think that's going to be used as often as the other two modes. But it's interesting for a card to both be Sacrifice Fodder and a Sacrifice Outlet. Yes. Yeah, what's also interesting about this card is... I had kind of assumed when we first read it that they didn't want, like, sort of blocking shenanigans with this being a fast spell. And so the cultists came in exhausted. But then... There's then they just printed like humbugs, whole... humbug nest. <laughs> so. I know. There's just like a, a couple of those in this new format. Yeah. There's a shadow card that plays two one one cultists, not at all exhausted. And you said it's it's a one it's a one shadow fast spell. Sacrifice a unit to play two one one cultists, perfectly ready to do combat in the middle of your opponent's turn. So the the exhausted thing is a little weird. I I may it must be a power level thing, but it, it's just weird. But. Yeah, it feels almost like they designed this card and then they decided that they didn't need to bother with that stuff and then they just left it this way. Yeah. It is powerful to play, you know, 3-3 three, three worth of power uh, on your opponent's turn, but it's not so powerful that they haven't done it many, many times before. So, I don't know. Yeah. All right. And so the final uh, three-faction theme is TJP, and we're calling that Expensive Relics because there does seem to be a few cards that care about how expensive a relic is. It's kind of interesting because the um, the Elysian card that was in set five is not in the current draft packs, but there are a lot of new Echo of Eternity cards that do care about the cost of the highest cost. Yeah, we don't have any of those in this current format but we'll have them when the full set is released like it's a theme that's not supported yet yeah i take that back so it does seem like it will be the theme but it is maybe not currently supported yeah we've seen spoilers for cards that haven't yet been released into the draft format yeah what i'm saying yeah yeah and that is something I, i wanted to mention um that we haven't mentioned yet so just before we hit on uh tjp is it is weird 
because uh, I kind of just assumed that every card spoiled would be in the draft packs, but that is not true. They have spoiled a bunch of cards that are not in the that are not in the draft packs for this one week. Yeah, um, even even commons and uncommons. Yeah, so there was like one of the first corrupted cards that they spoiled was the four fire two two. Uh, that draws a weapon from your deck on summon and then has a corrupted cost of six, so you could do it again. Like, for example, that's not in the current uh, draft packs, nor are any of the strangers. So even though strangers, I think, is going to be a, a very prevalent theme in Echoes of Eternity, there are there's no strangers, more or less, in the current draft packs. So... Yeah. Don't expect to see any of those. Yeah, there there's most likely several mechanics that we that they haven't spoiled at all yet, and this is just a taste. And they did this last time when they released the commons and uncommons um, into the draft format a week before the release. Uh, mm-hmm. We there were there were entire mechanics that weren't included yet. But who cares if highest cost relic is not a supported mechanic yet because you get sorcerer's wand. You do, and, and it's very good. Yep, we talked about this last episode. That is a five-time Justice Primal card. It's a relic. Once per turn, you may pay two to stun an enemy unit, draw a card, or give each of your units plus one, plus one this turn. So this yeah. is just a generically powerful card. So if you're going to be drafting these colors uh over the next week you'll probably want to concentrate on one of the sub themes rather than just picking up all the giant relics you can (laughs) except the first line of display of tradition is put an enemy unit into its owner's hand then increase its cost by the highest cost among your relics oh there it is that's the one yeah (laughs) i i forgot that there actually was one and it's the display so yeah, great. It's the next card. <laughs> yeah, this is the next card, but we hadn't talked about it yet. So for all I knew, it didn't exist. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the one. So uh, if you have a dis- if you have a sorcerer's wand and then a display of tradition, then you can basically make one of your enemy units unplayable because you're adding five to its cost. Good yes. for you. You did it. Uh, there are also other. Uh, I mean, I think we're looking at just display of tradition at this point that cares about the how big your relics are, but. Yeah, so there is there is this one card, and I think there are, even though there aren't a lot of other cards in this current draft format that care about the cost, the highest cost relic, there are a, a bunch of high cost relics in in the format. There's the primal relic, or it's a cursed relic. When one it, or more units hits the cursed player, you draw a card. So exactly. you can draw, so you can draw a card every attack. Uh, phase or else i guess actually you could do too because uh if you had if you had something with overwhelm or killer that would probably also count and berserk oh and berserk yeah yeah for sure so you can kind of abuse that card i i'm unclear on how good that card is at this point because it is a five cost relic that has no effect on the board immediately um but there are ways to make it a lot better than it than it seems yeah and with with all the flyers it seems like there are you know there's decks that could play this and almost guarantee um a draw every turn and you're not affecting the board but it it has a potential to be pretty i think powerful yeah Um, it's just a question of how realistic it is to draw more than two cards because if you're just drawing two cards off of that thing then it's a very expensive 
uh, draw two. But if you draw three, then it's quite good. Uh, and then it get, just gets better after that. So if part of your game plan is to be attacking repeatedly um, and getting a lot of draws off of it, then yeah, it's great. Uh, yes. But it is an expensive way to do that. So, you know, it's an interesting card. Yep. But then the if, other two modes of display of tradition are silence the enemy void. Doesn't seem super relevant. And then give one of your units plus two health and killer. Yeah. Killer seems to be a sub-theme in this new set. There's more killer than I would expect. One of the commons in Primal is a 2-4 for 4 uh, with Mastery 4, give all your flying units killer. (laughs) It's a weird card. It seems like it would be very difficult to get its mastery to happen because it is a 2-4, so it's not it doesn't attack like incredibly well. But giving all of your flying units killer is, is something, especially if you've been making humbugs for a couple of turns. Yes. Uh, it's a weird card. And then there's a there's another primal card. Or no, that's a sorry, it's a time card. There's a time card called Precision Plunge, which is a one cost time spell that gives one of your flying units deadly and killer. All of these cards work really well with, say, for example, a long-tail cavalry. Sure. Yeah, it's great with long-tail cavalry. It's great with, with humbug tokens. Yeah, long-tail cavalry specifically, though, because apparently this set is all about giving flying units killer. I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting thing to focus on, because usually they try not to grant too many things killer, since it's such a powerful ability. Yeah. Especially because, yeah, and the reason I mentioned Long-Tail Cavalry is because for this next week, we do have all the Fox cards. We still have two packs of Fox cards, and Exalted is a pretty prevalent, you know, keyword. And so giving, as we've learned, giving Exalted units killer is pretty powerful. So that's, I think, kind of, that's, for the next week, I think that's what this this three-faction combination is kind of going to be about. Because there's not that much support for the relics, but there's a lot of support for flyers. And with with Longtail Cavalry still in the format, uh, Justice gets to add something pretty substantial to the flyers' stable. So I would think that that's going to be one of the most powerful archetypes to draft over the next week, actually. Because flyers are good on their own, and there's support for them now. So, like, flyers don't need support. Uh, and then the downside is that Justice did get all of these explicitly anti-flyer cards. So we'll see if that's actually balanced. I suspect it's balanced towards the flyers because there are more flyers than anti-flyer cards and not all of your opponents will be in justice. So just drafting a whole bunch of flyers and token flyers at that is, is going to be a strong thing to do. I think that'll be our show there. I think we managed to talk about quite a few cards. So hopefully this gives people a sort of good idea of what's going on this week as well as sort of sets everyone out up everyone up for success going into next week so yeah that's our show thank you again to all of our patrons for making this show a success and for those of you who are not patrons a reminder to give us five star rating or review on itunes stitcher google play join us in our discord there's a link in the show notes below uh finally thumbs up all of raven dragon's reddit posts and don't forget to send all seven win deck lists you do this week to farming eternal at gmail.com and remember to keep on farming Have a good night. Bye.